Our gospel reading this morning is from Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 39. This comes right on the heels of a very long first day for Jesus in uh, his public ministry as he goes around uh, calling disciples, driving out impure spirits, healing people, including Simon's own mother-in-law, and then everyone who comes to uh, town or to the door that night, and he's healing many, many people. And that was, you know, one long day. Then, verse 35, we get what happens starting very early the next morning. But before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day, and we thank you for your word that you have given to us. Lord, we ask that you would help us as we read this morning to hear your word. Lord, to hear your word that is for us and for our good and for our benefit. God, that we may know better who you are, that we may know better who we are as your people. And God, that we may know better um, how we are to relate to you and to each other and to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I've come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Turning then to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, says, If anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent. Not to put it too, too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him, so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. Another reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. So much good there, but we're talking about something else today. This morning, we're actually going to be looking at Genesis 29, 31 through 30, 24. And this is a time way back in the times of the patriarchs where we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we are going to be looking at it in a particular season of life uh, for uh, Jacob and what goes on there. Before we get to that, though, let me ask you this question. Is there something that you feel like deep down, if I just had this one thing, then I'd be happy? Do you have that? Is there something that springs to mind, whether it is a tangible object or a relationship or a position or something? If I just had this, 
then I'd be happy. I don't know what your answer is to that, and no, I'm not going to call on you to share. But I will tell you that for a lot of people, this is how we go through life, is we have something that we are chasing, and we think, if I just had this, then I'd be happy. And sometimes we don't get it, and so we spend our whole life chasing after that thing. Other times we do get it, find out that wasn't the thing that's going to make us happy. And so then we just pick a different thing and start chasing that. This is not the way that the Bible tells us to live our lives, is it? But we do. And in fact, there are probably many of you who are here this morning because you have recognized that it is only God who can truly satisfy. That everything else leaves us empty. But there are probably others of you who are here this morning because you're hoping that you can figure out a way for God to give you the thing that you actually think is going to make you happy. That is not God that will make you happy. It's something else. But maybe you can get God to give that thing to you. That's fairly typical. And we see people do this all throughout Scripture. But it's not what Scripture is about. What it's been about from the very beginning is how our souls were created for God and be in relationship with him. And that that has been broken down, but the whole story is about how does that get made right again? That we actually can have a relationship with God. And we see this happen in the person of Jesus and his death for us. And how he brings us back into right relationship with God. Now, all that said, we're going to go back and look at some people who maybe didn't have that quite figured out yet and are still looking for other things. If only I had this. If this were the case, then things will go well. And um, where we pick up this story is we looked at, like, over the last several weeks, how God has called this guy named Abram, who later changed his name to Abraham and said, it's, I'm going to give you lots of descendants, I'm going to give you land, et cetera, et cetera. But the whole, I'm going to bless you, but the whole point is that through you, all the nations on earth will be blessed. And we see sometime, saw that sometimes uh, Abraham would, would be walking with God and uh, trusting him and faithful to him, and things would be good for those around him. And then there were other times not so much, where maybe he was afraid and scheming on his own, and it was causing not blessing for those around him, but actually bringing uh, misery into other people's lives. We saw this pass on through Isaac, his son, and now to his son, Jacob. And last week we'd seen that Jacob had not only deceived his own father, but last week he got deceived by his now father-in-law. And so he had said, I want to marry Rachel, your daughter. And he said, sure. And then instead he gave him his daughter Leah to marry. And so he married Leah and only found out after the fact that he'd married the wrong daughter well, what do you do about that? And he says, well, not a problem. You'll marry the other one too. Yeah, that's how you fix that. Anyway, so he ends up marrying both daughters. And we said last week that there are some people who have a view of the Bible that if it's in the Bible, it must be good and worth copying. And we have said consistently, no, that is not the way to read the Bible. 
that there is a whole lot of it that's in there uh, as examples of just people being people, but that doesn't mean that they're getting it right. And uh, that when you see uh, polygamy in the Bible, when you see somebody marrying more than one person, it happens in the Bible. And it always is followed up by the problems that causes. And that, I told you last week, come back this week, we'll get to see those problems. That's where we are this week. We get to look at the problems that are getting ready to be caused, uh, the tensions in the family um, between Jacob and his two wives now, Leah and Rachel, who are sisters, the original sister wives. Okay. Before we read this, though, just imagine uh, all of the drama that you could <laughs> that you would expect if this were a reality show. And you have somebody who is marrying somebody, and then, oh, but now you're also going to be married to their sister. And just, just think about it. What kind, of, what kind of drama would the producers want to make sure the cameras film as you go through this, uh, <laughs> the dynamics of these relationships? Because that's kind of what's coming out on the pages as you go through this. Here we go. This is Genesis 29 starting in verse 31. It says, When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. And if you are following along in your Bible, you'll notice there are footnotes after these names. I would encourage you to look at those because I'm not going to go through all this, but every one of these names is a play on Hebrew words that has to do with the situation that each mom is describing. Okay, we continue. Uh, again, she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So she, he was named Levi. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord, so she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. Hmm, we did not see that coming, did we? She became jealous of her sister, so she said to Jacob, Give me children or I'll die. Jacob became angry with her and said, Am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? Then she said, here is Bilhah, my servant. Sleep with her so that she can bear children for me, and I too can build a family through her. Oh, this won't have any problems. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife. Jacob slept with her, and she became pregnant and bore him a son. Then Rachel said, God has vindicated me. He has listened to my plea and has given me a son. Because of this, she named him Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, I have had a great struggle with my sister, and I have won. So she named him Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had stopped having children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. So now we're back to the first sister, and now with her servant. So now we are up to four women. Okay, just for those keeping score. She took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, what good fortune. So she named him Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, how happy I am. The women will call me happy. So she named him Asher. 
During wheat harvest, Reuben went out into the fields and found some mandrake plants, which he brought to his mother, Leah. Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, Wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? Will you take my son's mandrakes too? Very well, Rachel said. He can sleep with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. This is in the Bible. (laughs) Like in your head, this is like it's a reality show you're watching and you're like, oh, why are they even filming stuff like this? But this is what is happening. And this is for our benefit, by the way. We'll get to that in a second. But for now, just enjoy the drama. Okay. So very well, Rachel said, he can sleep with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. So when Jacob came in from the fields that evening, Leah went out to meet him. You must sleep with me, she said. I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he slept with her that night. God listened to Leah, and she became pregnant and bore Jacob a fifth son. Then Leah said, God has rewarded me for giving my servant to my husband. So she named him Issachar. Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has presented me with a precious gift. This time, my husband will treat me with honor because I have borne him six sons. So she named him Zebulun. Sometime later, she gave birth to a daughter and named her Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and enabled her to conceive. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace. She named him Joseph and said, May the Lord add to me another son. All right, that's where we're going to pause the story for this week. That is not the final son. There actually will be one more son to come, but not for several more chapters. In the meantime, what do you think about all that mess, right? Good grief. We said last week that, you know, maybe marrying more than one person is going to cause some problems. And then you read this, you're like, oh, wow. Because it sure does. We have uh, Rachel and Leah, these sisters, who are now having this rivalry because of sharing a husband. And the way that this whole thing is getting worked out is through the kids that they're each having. And so you see all this, you know, the play on words with each of the kids' names. Oh, this is what's going on. Therefore, I'm going to name him this. Now, if you uh, recognize some of these names, the names of these sons are the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. So as you move forward, Jacob gets his name changed to Israel, and these uh, 12 sons he ends up having become those 12 tribes. But this is how it starts. How bizarre is that? That it starts with this, and it starts with these, uh, with these individual women who are trying to get things figured out. But boy, the way they're going about it is bizarre. Um, and Jacob... I don't know if you noticed his role in all of this. But he doesn't seem to be providing much leadership (laughs) in here's how we ought to be going about things. But he seems rather, I don't know, sure, we'll go along with whatever you say. We'll just do that. That'll be fine. We get to the point where Leah, he comes in from work and she's like, hey, you have to sleep with me tonight because I hired you with my son's mandrakes. And he's not even like, what does that mean? <laughs> okay, well, if you hired me the mandrakes, you hired me the mandrakes. Okay. Um, that's a whole side story as to the mandrakes and what 
how people saw those as aphrodisiac as well as uh, perhaps fertility enhancement. That's what's going on there with the whole mandrake thing. But what's happened, though, is when you even see that happening here, is that their relationship as husband and wife is not actually so much a relationship. It's become transactional. Do you see that? I have hired you? What is this? This is not how relationships are supposed to be. Um, and so the whole thing seems like it is just breaking down. Their relationships are breaking down. But the whole thing has started, if you remember, because he wanted to marry Rachel. He instead marries Leah. And then also marries Rachel. And we saw at the end of uh, our reading last week that it says, whoops, I'm on the wrong page, that it says um, that his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. Yeah. This is also part of the problem. And so we started this week by, in verse 31, hearing, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive. And then as she continues having kids, what is it that she is saying about her kids? Time after time after time, you keep seeing this, oh, now my husband's going to love me. But does his attitude toward her ever change? Not that we can see. Jacob continues to love Rachel, but not Leah. And what is Leah longing for? Just for her husband to love her. That doesn't seem to happen. Even going so far as to hire him with the mandrakes, bearing him six sons and a daughter, and almost every time in there, it's some kind of indication of her relationship with her husband and how she is hoping that that is going to improve. But we don't ever see the indication of that happening. That's a heartbreaking story. Can you imagine having not only a husband not love you, but have him also married to your sister and having him actually be loving towards her? This is where, I mean, the whole thing is just, heartbreaking. And then you have this whole weird thing of, oh, hey, why don't you sleep with my servant that both of the sisters do because they're trying to have kids as a way of getting back at the other one. Like this is (laughs) having children as a way of somehow solving some petty squabble. This is bizarre. But then the way they're doing it is the same way that we saw Abraham and Sarah try to solve their problem. Remember this? God has promised to Abraham, I'm going to give you many descendants, and he still has no kids, and he's getting pretty old. And Sarah's like, tell you what, how about you sleep with my servant, have kids with her? And Abraham goes, yeah, okay. We're seeing that replayed. But now with both Leah and Rachel and Jacob, just right in there. With all of it. It is a, uh, as I say, it's a heartbreaking story relationally between these people as they are trying to compete with each other for the love of this one man. Their children are being used as pawns in this whole thing. Do we have much indication of the mother's love for their children? Not a whole lot. 
This is not the ideal family situation, is it? This is detailing for us a breakdown in the human relationships and how things are not the way that they are supposed to be. But uh, this is one of the things that we see throughout the Bible that is just incredible because the Bible is revealing to us uh, who God is and how he works with his people. But of course, in seeing that, you have to see what he's working with. <laughs> and who, what he's working with as it relates to humanity is a bunch of messed up people. These are the kinds of things we do. I'm not saying any of you has done this. <laughs> but these are the kinds of things we do. When we use people in order to try to get what we want. In this case, uh, they're trying to use you know, my son's mandrakes. I'm trying to use my uh, husband. I'm trying to use my servant. I'm trying to use my children in order to just get the love of my husband. Like That's what they're really after. And so they're willing to use whatever it takes to get that. We do that kind of stuff. Chasing after something, using people, using things to try to get what we really want. And as we read through this, you know, we do kind of look at it from a distance and go, yeah, glad I don't do that. We do, though. Not the same thing, but the same kind of thing. And as the Bible details these sorts of um, messed up relationships, it's, we start looking at this and go, oh, boy, it is just really dark. Like, this is, um, it's dark stuff going on with, when the relationships are this broken. But it's in the midst of the darkness that you do see the light shining. And this is one of the things that you see throughout the Bible is you see this uh, portrayal of people who are just making a mess of things. And then you see God still working through it. So I've already mentioned one of the ways that God is working through this whole thing. Do you remember that God made the promise to Abraham you're going to have many descendants? Well, Jacob was Abraham's grandson. So far he'd had Isaac and Isaac had Jacob and Esau those two. Well, now Jacob has 12 sons and a daughter. This family tree has just exploded, hasn't it? It's getting quite a bit bigger. And we've seen that this is going to be the 12 tribes of Israel, that when God has promised to make a nation of Abraham, this is where that is. And so we see God actually working through this messed up situation to bring about something good. Not only that, but it's not just that he brings about this nation, but that God had told Abraham that it's through you that all peoples on earth will be blessed. When you are reading through this list of names, what you might not be aware of is that um, one of these names is what shows up in the early part of the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1. And this is, oh, I should have marked it. The genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, by the way, was one of Leah's sons. And there's a lot more to that whole story that we'll get to later. Um, not always a pretty picture either. But this is God continuing to be faithful to his promise, even in the midst of all this, all these messed up relationships. That God is still being faithful to his promise. I mentioned at the beginning that we tend to have these ideas of uh, there's one thing, if I could just have that, then I'd be happy. And sometimes even trying to use God to get that one thing. And yet, 
what we see is it is God himself who is that one thing. Anything apart from that is really an idol. What we see in uh, Genesis end of 29 and 30 is we see people who are not trying to find their, um, their happiness, their identity, their uh, relational significance in God and who he is and how he has created them and loved them and cares about them. We see them use his name. They talk about what he's doing, but they see it always as helping them to get something else. Oh, now the Lord has given me this so that my husband will love me. The husband still doesn't. And so we see Leah um, throughout this whole section being continually disappointed, even as uh, it seems like she is looking to God to, for something, but what she's looking to him for is to give her something else that she actually wants. But I think she actually gets it right at the very beginning. It says, When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. I think the second part of that statement is how she gets off track. Surely my husband will love me now, as though that's the important part. I think it's the first part that is the important part, which is, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. I think that's true. That he has seen her misery. That he is with her. That he does care about what she's going through. But what's important is not that she gets the love of Jacob. What's important is that she has the love of God for her personally, who she is, where she is, what she's going through. And that does seem to be consistent throughout. God does seem to care about who she is and what she's going through. But that doesn't mean that he's going to give her what she's chasing after. One of her descendants, as I mentioned, ends up being the one through whom all peoples on earth will be blessed, and that is Jesus. Jesus is the way that we know that God loves us. And as I was mentioning in the children's sermon, that he loves, yes, all of us, but also that he loves each of us. Personally, who we are and where we are. He knows the things that we're chasing after. He knows that those won't satisfy. We will find our joy when we find our significance, our identity, our hope in him, not in these other things. When you look at Jesus, and you even look at the way in which he lived, this is what he also models for us, is this way of living, not chasing after anything, but just resting in the relationship that he has with his father. And we see him... uh, going about everything then with a purpose and with confidence in in going the right direction. We don't see the same kind of frantic behavior that we see from Leah and from Rachel. 
as they are chasing after something else. So as we go from here today, that's what we want to reflect on. Where is it that we are missing the, um, the joy and the peace that God has for us because we are chasing after something besides him? And how today can Jesus help us to get that fixed, that we would find our rest in him, knowing that we are loved by him as a group, that we are loved individually with wherever we are. He sees our misery. He sees our pain. He sees our joys. And we know that he loves us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. Now, we do thank you for the way that you reveal uh, yourself to us in your word. And we thank you for the way that we get to see how you have worked with your people in the past. We know that you continue to be faithful even when we are not faithful. That you continue to love us even when we have turned away from you. God, we pray that you would help us uh, in recognizing the emptiness of the things that we tend to chase after, that there may be very good things that are worth um, having in this life, but that if that is our ultimate thing, it will not satisfy. Help us to receive the gifts that you give as gifts, but help us not to look to those gifts to give us our identities, to give us our uh, significance or our meaning for living. God, help us to find um, who we are in who you are or who you have created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. Lord, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It is not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.